0: Well, good morning, Exchange. As Jesse has told us already, and we would respond with He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen what an incredible morning that we get to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And I don't know if you woke up like this this morning. Maybe the weekend for you uh, was like this. You attended our Good Friday service. It ended with a bit of a, not maybe a, like a, a, a side of just despair, Really, there was this good moment of that Christ is risen. Uh, we know that's coming, but we wanted you to sit in this moment of hopelessness. And then the weekend was totally dreary. It was dark. It was rainy. And on Easter Sunday morning, the sun appeared. It was like I woke up this morning and Jesus was saying again, I have risen. I have risen indeed. And even the weather would speak to us in this moment. It's uh, Sometimes I think uh, we look at Easter and the mystery in, in some ways is gone. You know, we don't gather here today and there's no, no 20 minute th- type thing of investigation to say like, well, where, where is Jesus? What actually happened to his body? You know, there's people and Christians, um, millions and millions of Christians all over the world celebrating the fact that Christ has risen from the dead, not if he rose from the dead, how we can know, how we can find out, but actually that it's factual. He rose from the dead. I will admit sometimes mystery pushes us to lean in a little bit harder on some things, you know, like this weekend, I found myself going down the the rabbit trail of the Shroud of Turin. If you haven't seen that, it's uh, maybe possibly the the garments that, that Christ was buried in. And I started to look at all the evidence and different things, and of course, we don't know for sure if that's it, but I wanted it to be, right? I wanted it to be as its way that propelled my faith. Mysteries sometimes make us push in. Maybe a mystery like, who is D.B. Cooper, or how did they actually build the pyramids? Who sneaks in your house at night and steals only one sock? It's a mystery that we can't solve. And actually, the Apostle Paul speaks of the resurrection and what it accomplished as a mystery. Even years after Paul had seen the risen Christ, even after Paul had changed from being a Christian persecutor to giving his life for Christ, Notice what he writes in Ephesians chapter 3 about this great, incredible mystery. He says this, For the mystery of Christ, which other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. To sum it up, here's what Paul's saying. It's not a mystery, he says, that Christ rose from the dead. What's a mystery, he says, is that we are now benefactors from that resurrection. From the gospel, he says, it's not a mystery that Christ rose from the dead. It's a mystery how we could be included in what the resurrection accomplishes. Peter, we've been studying him for a little bit. Uh, last week, we looked at Palm Sunday and Easter, uh, kind of from the uh, vantage point of Peter. He writes this in 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 5. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded with faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So while Paul says it's a mystery that we would be included Peter answers the question, I think in some ways, and says, yes, it's a mystery that we would be included, but here is what it accomplishes. First, Peter says this, that the the mercy of God benefits us through Christ's resurrection. I think it's really important that we understand mercy really well. It's one of those terms that we think that we have an understanding of, maybe uh, most likely an anemic idea of God's mercy. A.W. Tozer calls it a a communicable attribute of God, meaning God has mercy. He is mercy. And and we can understand mercy in some ways, in some forms, but it's always flawed. It's a minuscule and embarrassing uh, comparison. Maybe we see it in in a court system, uh, our court system, where a prisoner is convicted without a shadow of a doubt. There's video evidence. Maybe they admit to the crime. But maybe in return for their guilty plea, the judge reduces their sentence and gives them mercy. Maybe because they turn someone else in during the process. But in many cases, that's not mercy. That's an arrangement. I will give you less of a sentence if you do this, if you have no prior record, if you are good, if you carry out your probation, all of the things. And he says, this is not mercy. This is an arrangement. See, this person has somehow performed in ways or entered into agreement that allows a judge to extend some ruling. Even when they do that, they don't just excuse it altogether. God's mercy is nothing like this. There's no end to his mercy. He is mercy and mercy flows from him. There's nothing that you possess or that you're capable of to cause God to grant you mercy. His mercy towards us is not based on some kind of return that he hopes to get from our lives. His mercy is solely based on who he is and what his son has already done. That's where his mercy flows from. And scripture says that he's rich in mercy. He has no end of it. And in his great mercy flows out of his great love for us. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But by God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved by faith. The resurrection guarantees God's promise of limitless mercy think about this the resurrection guarantees god's promise of limitless mercy it never runs out aw tozer says these words he says if we could remember that the divine mercy is not temporary mood but an attribute of god's eternal being we would no longer fear that it would someday cease to be Mercy never began to be, but from eternity it was. And so it will never cease to be. It will never be more since itself is infinite. It will never be less because infinite cannot suffer a dimension. Nothing has occurred or will occur in heaven or in earth or in hell that can change the tender mercies of God. Forever his mercy stands, boundless and in overwhelming intensity of divine pity and, compassion. and he says this, because God is mercy, his mercy will never run out. And Peter says that the resurrection guarantees us that God's mercy will be extended to us. The mercy that the Lord shows us in this incredible trickle effect uh, Peter talks about does something for us. And he says this, blessed be the God of the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy that he's rich in. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says we have the chance, the the opportunity to be born again because of the resurrection. See, here's another point. The resurrection guarantees new life in Christ. He uses this phrase here that might be confusing, and he says that through God's mercy, we have been born again to a living hope. And if you're confused by this statement, by this phrase, you're in good company, one of the greatest scholars of Jesus' time was also very confused by this statement. And Jesus answered and said to him in John chapter 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there's a man named Nicodemus, a scribe, a Pharisee. He's an expert in the law. Chances are he had memorized the complete Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He knew it well. And so when Jesus is speaking these things and says this phrase, you have to be born again, Nicodemus raises his hand and says, question and asks Jesus. uh, He says, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify and what we've seen. And you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man uh, be lifted up. So whoever believes will in him have eternal Life. You probably know this passage well. Jesus continues and he says, In that way, God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, that he, the world might be saved through him. Isn't it great to have the words of Jesus? He explains this new birth, where it comes from, and the faith that we have in him, the father who sent the son on our behalf. And Paul embraces this new birth in his letter to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter two, verse 20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Paul says, I've put my old past to death. And in Christ's resurrection, I've accepted the new life that he offers. The life which now I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. There's a story of a, a London businessman, uh, Lindsey Clegg, who told the story of a warehouse property he was buying. Uh, as Actually, he was selling, and the building had uh, been empty for months. In need of of repairs, vandals had broken in and broken most of everything, smashed doors, smashed windows, uh, strewn trash around the interior, uh, spray painted graffiti all over the place. And as he showed prospective buyers the property, Clegg took great pains to say that he would replace the windows, have the the, uh, factory repainted, uh, the structure of the damage uh, assessed and, and repaired And uh, he was astonished by the the response. The man who was buying the property says, Forget the repairs. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. And in the same way, Christ, as he pays for our new life on the cross, doesn't come to make us better people. It's not that we were bad, it's that we were dead. It's not that we could be repaired. By working harder, trying harder, doing better, accomplishing more. It's not that that we had anything that he could work with. Instead, we lay our lives down and we die to ourselves and Christ offers us new life. Scripture uses this illustration of potter and a clay as if the potter would smash this vessel, this broken vessel and then make this beautiful mosaic out of it. Full of our broken stories, but full of hope and full of beauty. Compared with the renovation that God has in mind, our efforts to improve our own lives are just trivial. Sweeping a warehouse slated for a wrecking ball. When we become gods, the old life is over, Scripture says. And what's incredible for us to remember today about the salvation and this new birth that God gives to us is that it's, it's not corporate. He didn't come to save just humanity. He came to save you. You, he says. He came and died for persons with names and stories and broken paths full of regrets. He gave his life for you. You have the chance this life because he gave his life for you. I love how Corey Ten Boom says it. She says, if Jesus were born 1,000 times in Bethlehem and not in me, then I would still be lost. She says it in a way that Christ offers you personally new life with him. So, I hope that today, as you're taking the opportunity this morning to remember the greatness and the goodness of God, maybe you came in this morning with a basic understanding of who He is and what He wants for you. Here's the truth that we were all once dead, but not anymore. We can be alive in Him. We were once enemies of God, and now He extends the invitation to call you friend. We were once slaves in our own sin. But now he says we can be heirs, sons and daughters of God. This is good news in a lot of ways. And I think at this moment, if you've ever been to maybe a fancy five-course dinner, it seems like this is enough, Peter. Through the mercy of God, he has caused us to be born again. I need to stop. I'm full. And at that that point, like third course in the meal is when they bring you the entree. This is what Peter does for us today. He says, because of God's great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. Notice what he says next. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what I would ask you to remember today. It's through the God's mercy and Christ's resurrection that we have a living and eternal hope. I'll say it another way for us. Without Jesus, we have a hopeless end. But with Jesus, we have an endless hope. Without Jesus, we have a hopeless end. But with Jesus, we have an endless hope. Paul would talk about this in one of his letters. If you remember, Paul was, again, a persecutor, the persecutor of the church. At one point in one of his letters, he would admit to dragging out men, women, and children from their homes and persecuting them, likely putting them to death for simply claiming the name of Jesus. Paul has this incredible experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. His, the scales of his eyes literally fall off. And he's able to see Jesus for who he is. He later writes these words. And he says this. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. Without Jesus, we have a hopeless end, he says. You're still in your sins. All your brokenness remains. All your past is actually your present and your future. Without Christ, he says, we are still in our sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. We have no hope, he says. But if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all the men most to be pitied. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we have no hope at all. See, the resurrection changes everything. And I want you to be encouraged and be strong in this. Every Easter, we try to work into the sermon a place where we think logically, practically about the resurrection. Scripture asks us to do this, not to be fools, not to to, to believe things that, that can't possibly be true. And while Scripture pushes us to believe the miraculous, I believe that there's sufficient evidence for the resurrection that makes this actually logical to believe and to hope in. We have places in scripture that would not make sense without the resurrection. For this example, today, thousands of years later, we have the church celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Think about this for one second. Right before the death of Christ, the entire nation of Israel was crying, give us Barabbas, crucify him. And shortly later, just days after, the tide turned so dramatically that thousands of years later, millions of Christians around the world are singing those songs, Hosanna in the highest, today. Thousands of years later, the birth of the church has been born. Why? Because no one follows a dead prophet. Jesus was really dead, really put in a tomb. And some say maybe he was just beaten to the point of almost dead. I don't know very many people that would line up to follow him. If he crawled out of a tomb and and nursed himself back to health, I don't know a lot of people that would say, yeah, that's the guy that I would like to follow. Think about the disciples. The other explanation is, well, the disciples grabbed the body of Jesus in the night. They paid off the Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb with their lives. And they stole the body, hid it away. Except for the fact that every single one of them would give their lives in a brutal way for the truth that Christ has been risen. I know a lot of people, a lot of stories that have died for lies, but I don't know a lot of people that would die for a lie that they knew was a lie. You know, at some point, if 12 disciples and many, many more saw their friends, their brothers being brutally tortured, beheaded, crucified, boiled in oil. At some point when they're marching me down the road to this place of judgment, and they say, would you like to recant your story and show us where the body is? I think I might be the one. I might be the one that goes, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. I'll show you. I'll dig it up. I'll take you to the spot. Don't hurt me. But one after another, after another, after another, went to their brutal death saying, I can't say anything else except for he has risen from the dead. We see this in history as the church is born and grows over and over and over again. Believing in the resurrection isn't nearly as crazy as having hope apart from the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, your greatest hope is to be perfect. Without the resurrection... The best that you can hope for is to be so good that you outdo all of your wrongs. The best that you can hope for is that there's some kind of merit system with God. And even in his perfect righteousness, he grades on a curve. That's the best that you can hope for. And going in this life and into the next, you go in with trepidation saying, I don't know, maybe Hopefully, Christ doesn't offer a maybe. He doesn't give you a hopefully. He doesn't give you a potentially. He gives you a promise. Through the resurrection, he says that you have a living hope. Peter goes on to describe this great hope in verse 4, and he says this, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. You are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. Notice this last point. Because of God's mercy and Christ's resurrection, we can be sure of our future. This hope that Peter talks about is different than any other hope. It's living, even still. Thousands of years after these words are written, no other hope does that. Think about all the hopes that we have in this world, the best things that we have to hope for. We hope that we make it to the big leagues one day, but our bodies break down, and then we don't hope for that anymore. We can't. We hope to get the promotion, but one day we're finished with that company and the promotions don't matter. We stop hoping in even those things. Maybe even in marriage, the best marriages in this room, we hope that they will last forever, but inevitably, we know this is true, death knocks on everyone's door. Even the best relationships that we have, even the best relationships we have here on earth will one day end. Even the best things that we have here on earth fade away. But Peter said that because Christ rose from the dead, there's a hope that goes beyond all of those hopes. And he says that it's a living hope. It's a hope that has a heartbeat, he says. I don't know if you've ever uh, been stood up by a rental car company Maybe an airline, it's not any fun. Maybe you've been waiting for your plane to board and they start making the call, we need somebody to give up their seats. This plane is full. Maybe you rented a car and you get there and they say we've we've rented it away. You ask the question, what's the purpose of renting the car? They actually count on people not showing up, so they sell more seats on the plane than they actually have, rent more cars to people than they actually have on their lot. Maybe you've had a dinner reservation, and you show up, and you still have to wait. And in our entitled world, of course, it makes us upset. We did our work, and they need to live up to their end of the bargain. I think for most of us, we're not afraid that God might give up our seat to someone else. Like in these cases, I think for most of us, we're slightly worried that he'll find some way to revoke the invitation. You know, when when I gave you this invite, I thought you were good. I, I thought that you'd give me a return on my investment. I thought that you would shake the world for good. I thought that you would do more good after this point than you had done bad previously. I don't know about you, but I've lived my life in some seasons where I feared that God would literally revoke his invitation to the promise of eternal hope. But That's not eternal hope. That's temporary hope. That's potential hope. And here, Peter says that this living hope doesn't just produce a maybe or potential, but it produces a promised eternal hope secured in heaven for you. And he says the power of God holds this. Notice what Romans chapter five, verse eight says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Think about it this way. While we were at our absolute worst, Christ demonstrated his absolute best the greatest sacrifice that he could make for us came when we were at our lowest place in this world. You can't be lower than that. Dead in your sins, he says. It's a living hope, imperishable, unfading, reserved in heaven for you, complete, final. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, maybe on TV, Uh, you've seen or maybe even been in this circumstance where you have been in a hospital room and uh, you have watched and heard the heart rate monitor. Have you seen this on TV? Maybe someone in this room has has had had a personal experience with themselves or with someone that you love and you sit in the room and you watch this heart rate monitor and you listen and the constant beep is annoying but also comforting. There's life. I don't know if you've ever been in a circumstance or a situation where you've been in the room and the, and the beep starts to get a little slower. And sometimes on TV we see the flat line and it stops beeping and it's a constant tone and they bring in the crash cart. Right? And they start working on this person trying to shock them back into life. I've also been in a circumstance and in a room where someone was absolutely terminal. And the beep starts to get a little bit slower and a little bit slower until it's one final tone. And I've been in a room where the situation and circumstance is so hopeless that they don't bring in the crash cart; They unplug the monitor. It is what it is. There's no hope. On Friday, there was no hope. On Saturday, there was no hope. God who descended to this earth had flatlined. And like we sang just a second ago, on Sunday, his heart beats. There's a blip on the screen, and hope comes alive. Against all odds, three days dead, Christ rises from the dead. And when you rise from the dead, you can promise anything you want to. When you raise from the dead, you get to say and declare anything that you want to. And here's some promises that he makes. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin and death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God demonstrates his uh, his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Listen to this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. Look at this promise. Romans 10 verse 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. I I want you to say these things. Last words with me. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, these last three words, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise. And because he rose from the dead, he can make that promise. I think the resurrection can be especially compelling for those of us who are longing for a new life people like us whose lives have been littered with failure, scarred by abuse, humbled by suffering, darkened by depression, ruined by addiction, we need new life. To those seeking hope, the resurrection exiles the old life and welcomes the new life in Christ. Shedding a bright ray of hope into the heart of of hopelessness. Because he rose, we have hope. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that we don't have to wonder about eternity. You haven't made it obscure. You haven't made it a moving target. You haven't made it a potential or probably a promise a promise that says even though we're dead in our sins we put on your robe of righteousness and you walk us into the throne of God into heaven and declare us holy righteous and beyond calling for them again. They've given in to the desires of the flesh. Maybe, Lord, they've wavered and waffled in their faith. Lord, I pray that you would remind them of this great truth, that in your resurrection, you have forever accomplished salvation. in the room that maybe have said a prayer at one point in their life and yet walk through this life absolutely hopeless and wondering about eternity and life and death and their status before you Lord I pray that you would mark this moment as the moment in their life where they believe with their heart they confess with their mouth that you are Jesus Christ the son of God died and rose again for us. Lord, I pray for those in the room who have maybe never in their life had a moment with you. Lord, I pray that they would find you today. As we continue to just reflect on these promises, I would just ask as you pray, I would ask that you would just ask the Lord Maybe now in this moment, the Lord's beating your heart, your dead heart alive. And you feel something shaking in your heart and in your mind at this moment. I would just ask you to say these simple words. God, give me faith to obey. Give me faith. Is that if we just ask and we confess that he is Lord, He promises salvation. There's no font print, there's no clause, there's no background check. He knows you and still promises you this. Scripture never gives us a prayer to pray. Not one time does someone come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do I have to do to eternal life? And he says, repeat after me. Not one time. Literally, what we just read is it. Believe with your heart. Confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord. He's risen from the dead. Trust him to take your sins and he will. But I do believe that there's a prayer that's appropriate in this moment. If the Lord is moving your heart, then it might go something like this. I know I'm a sinner. But I desperately need you. I believe that you rose from the dead and you took my sins for me. I trust you, Jesus, with the promises that you made. That's you today, whether you prayed that in your heart or want the courage to pray that in your heart, we would love to pray with you. We have a team of volunteers in the back. They'll take you right through those those black curtains, some chairs that they would love the chance to pray with you. We would love the chance to show you what it means to walk with Jesus. many of us we know the gift that this is. But I would encourage you don't walk away from this gift. Don't walk away from this gift. Don't let pride don't let fear don't let questions keep you away from this gift. Let us pray with you. Let us sit down and answer some questions you might have about this great gift this great life that he promises you. As Jesse sings and we reflect and respond, I would encourage you to simply turn and walk to the back. Someone will greet you there take you through the curtains and have a moment of prayer with you. Lord, give us the courage to simply ask for faith It's in your great name.